Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Jake Vilwak, owner of Relentless Fly Fishing. Jake shares his fly fishing journey, and we take a deep dive into all things smallmouth. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's sponsored by our friends at Norvice. Their motto is, tie better flies faster. And they produce the only vice that truly spins. If you tie articulated patterns, you owe it to yourself to check out their new shank jaws. The first production run sold out in minutes, but Tim and Tyler have reloaded. To check out the new jaws and Norvice's other great products, head over to www.nor-vice.com. Now, on to our interview. Well, Jake, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Thanks, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation this evening, and we have a tradition on the show. We always ask our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Uh, I would say, um, you know, I kind of thought about this when I when I saw the questions. Um, I would say my earliest fishing memory was actually, um, I was five, uh, and I was doing a bass tournament with my dad, um, and I was fishing, you know, one of those little, like, jitterbugs or some sort of topwater bug. Um, and I threw it towards these lily pads and all of a sudden this wake came out from around the bush and I looked at dad real quick and my five-year-old, you know, voice and I was like, Oh dad, there's one. And out popped this mallard hen and she tried to eat my jitterbug. And I remember getting so excited because I had no idea what was happening. And my dad said, no, you can't let that thing eat that. And I was like, but, 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 you know, and so besides the duck, I would say my earliest fishing memory was actually you know, doing a bath tournament with my dad when I was five. So, um, you know, it kind of, kind of suits the fact that now my main target is smallmouth. So. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting too. I always ask folks, you know, when they came to the dark side of fly fishing. Uh, I was actually probably more of a late bloomer. Um, I picked up a fly rod when I was probably a senior in high school. Um, and it was actually my dad. Uh, he had a nine foot six weight, uh, fiberglass South Bend rod and, uh, with a Fluger medalist still had the same fly line on it that he, when he bought it, you know, 30 years prior. Um, and I just went to a, went to a bass pond and thought I was going to catch a bluegill and, and, uh, or something and, and did not. So, um, I, uh, messed around with that for a little bit and, and, you know, kind of went back and forth between the fly and, and spinning rod for, you know, most of my uh, college career. Um, and, uh, then post-college is kind of when I, I dove headfirst into the, into the fly fishing, you know, side of it and the industry and kind of jumped, jumped headfirst all in once. I went from being a, a hobby here and there fly fisherman to, you know, full, full-fledged guide. And, um, and that was a pretty awesome experience, but yeah, so that was, that was my first experience was, was, a and I, you know, every once in a while I go home to my parents' house and I decide I don't want to take a fly ride because I just want to visit my family. And it's inevitable. I'm a dad's like, let's go, let's go bass fishing. Let's go striper fishing. And I'm like, okay, so, uh, let me have that fiberglass rod again. And it's still, you know, 40 years later still has the same exact fly line on it. And, you know, I, I love the technology of fly lines today, but somehow 40 year old fly line still casts that rod just fine. 
Yeah, very, very neat. And obviously, right, you graduated from college, you went, you guided in Alaska, you came back to the East Coast. You know, you've probably, you know, spent a lot of time around a lot of fishy people. Who are some of the folks that have mentored you on your fly fishing journey? Uh, I would, you know, besides my dad kind of kind of handing me the rod and saying, this is how I taught myself, you know, I'd, I'd give him a lot of credit just for, you know, not just fishing, but, or not just fly fishing, but, you know, fishing in general, he's kind of instilled that in me most of my life but my uh my first boss in the industry paul fitzgibbon um ran a you know he runs well he still does runs a single party lodge in sitka alaska so he he splits it he does uh deep sea stuff and and fly fishing and um you know paul when i when i started guiding 14 years ago he said uh you know he had been guiding for 25 years at that point and you know there could be a lot of guys out there at that point in their life in their career they're just like you know kind of burn out and you know not super energetic and um but paul was you know he was 25 years in and just you know he was contagious when it came to the love of the sport and just you know loved being a guy in general and um you know and so for me it was it was you know i started off you know doing the deep sea stuff as well as fly fishing so i i was a deckhand and and a fly fishing guide and uh you know, I could have went either direction, um, but I just kind of fell to the fly fishing side and, you know, didn't, didn't love the client base that we would get with, you know, the deep sea stuff. It was, you know, how big can we catch? How many can we kill? And, you know, there's whales breaching and orcas that are so close to the boat that you can see the water dripping down their dorsal fin and they're just like, I want another salmon. And then you get the guys that came up fly fishing and, you know, they're watching the eagles and the bears. And you're, you know, hiking up these, you know, four or five mile rivers and there's nobody around and they're just full of salmon and trout and char and and you just you know that that beauty is what really really you know sucked me in pretty hard and and paul was you know to this day every once in a while i get to go back up there and he calls it a celebrity guide appearance he'll book a big group and you know he could find the local guide but he just likes to get me up there and so he'll say hey do you want to come you know guide for 10 days and i'm like yeah you know and so you know pushing 40 years in the industry he's still you know, up until, you know, two o'clock in the morning and up at four thirty and just, you know, doesn't even skip a beat. So, um, I would say, you know, Paul was definitely a, a huge influence. And then one of the guys that, that I guided with up there, Tom, Tom Larson, he, um, you know, was kind of part-time, part-time guide for Paul and, and just, you know, super, super fishy guy. Loved, loved to walk up the rivers and, you know, start time flies. Actually, he got into it way later than I did. We started time flies you know, about the same time. Um, and, uh, so those two guys were definitely like, you know, when it came to the guide side, they were, they were my in kind of, you know, motivation to, to stick with it. and, you know, moving to, to Pennsylvania, um, you know, starting to work for TCO, you know, Tony's the owner of TCO. He's kind of definitely a mentor and I would consider him almost a, a fatherly figure. Anytime I have a question, I, you know, the other day I had a question for him. I texted him. I said, I need, I need some professional and some fatherly advice. And, you know, he's always one to, uh, to give some good, some good intel. And, and, you know, he's always believed in me from, you know, the day I walked in the store, you know, 12 years, 13 years ago, um, you know, till now. So, you know, he's helped me grow this business and, and saw something in, in my drive before I did, you know, so, um, you know, those are kind of the three guys I would say you know, besides my dad, obviously being number one, um, in that influence. So, yeah. Yeah. Very, very neat. And you mentioned briefly, you know, getting into fly tying and you were, you said you were kind of a late fly fishing bloomer, you know, what drew you to fly tying? 
Uh, I would say, you know, the first year I'm, I was in Alaska, so I kind of went, again, kind of head first into the design. Um, you know, I was talking to some of the clients, and one guy was telling me about, you know, his grandfather's estate that they just cleaned out, and he had like 12, you know, vices that he was sitting on. And I, you know, kind of nonchalantly said, hey, if you ever want to get rid of one, let me know. I'll, you know, I'll buy one. And he said, I'll send you one. And so a week later when he left, I, I got a package in the mail and it was a Thompson A vice, you know, C clamp and no, no rotary or any of that stuff. And, and I remember we were steelhead fishing and we used to use, um, these starlight leeches and they were all, they were only tied on a size two. Um, and some of the smaller trout would come out and try to eat them, but they were too big. And I said, man, I gotta, I gotta tie these smaller. So, so I went to the fly shop. There was one fly shop in Sitka and, and there was a, a craft store slash flash tying area. You know, you walked in and it was, you know, issues of fly, fly tying magazine from 20 years ago covered in dust and, you know, all this, you know, hot glue sticks and stuff. And you had a little, little bin of, of fly tying material. And so between those two places, I, I pieced together the materials that I needed for the starlight leech and, um, tied it in a size, uh, I think six or eight. Um, and then, you know, honestly learning, teaching myself how to tie flies, I tied it backwards. I started from, um, from the eye and, and tied back. So the first fly I ever tied, I whip finished at the tail. And, and I said, this is really hard. Why is that so difficult? And, and then I started looking at one of the magazines I bought from, I don't know, it was probably like 88 or 89. Um, and I was like, Oh, you start from the back and you go forward. And, from then on, it kind of made more sense to me. Very neat. And, you know, it's interesting because I talk to uh, to a lot of people that I bring on the show about fly fishing. And a lot of them that tie, they also fish gear. And it really has a significant impact on, on their tying and their fly design. I know you fish gear, too. Is that the same for you? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I've got, you know, a lot of diehard fly guys that, you know, sometimes will have the spinner rods in the boat because, I just have them in there for the day before and they're easier to transport in the, in the boat. And like, ah, what are you doing with those things? And, you know, then I have to go through the 10 minute spiel on, you know, how, you know, fishing spinning rods is pretty, pretty awesome. Cause you get to see not only like, you know, from the fly design standpoint, but also from like a hook set standpoint and a presentation standpoint, you know, if you're fishing, if you're fishing a tube jig or, you know, a Ned rig or some sort of soft plastic on the bottom. I mean, the guys that, the guys that just slowly bounce that thing on the bottom don't really do anything. Just let that thing drag and they feel a little weight. They reel down and it's a very, very subtle hook set. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're five, six to one to the guy that's, you know, Bill Danton reeling down and, and large mouth setting on those, you know, those things. And, you know, when you have a, it's just like a rising trout, you know, if you have a trout that's going to rise really slow to your dry fly, you don't rip that fly as soon as it eats it, you let it eat it. And so, you know, when I fish crayfish and stuff like that, I tell my guys, I'm like, look, like if you feel something, just pull a little bit harder. And if it starts to pull away or you feel something more than just a rock, like then give it a little bit of a love tap and then go to town on it. And so, you know, not only from a fly design, which I'll circle back on that, but just a presentation and even just a hook set, you know, you can learn a lot from the ways that you spin fish to the ways that you present a fly and, and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, fly design, um, you know, I've, I've, you know, talked to Mike Schultz and Blaine Chocolate and all those guys, and, you know, I would consider them all, you know, pretty good friends. And 
um, you know, we, you know, they, they're kind of next level and, and, uh, but, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, how do you create a fly to do, to do what, you know, a specific lure will do or what a soft plastic will do. And, you know, my, one of my signature flies is that I'm, you know, super proud of the roamer. You know, I was fishing stripers with my dad and he was fishing like rubber flukes or swim baits and he was just crushing stripers on them. And I, I couldn't catch one to save my life on any of my flies that, you know, that I'd, you know, I'd tried and, or that were tried and true. And so I went home that night and I tied this fly that kind of resembled the look of a fluke, you know, and didn't really at that point have any idea how to make it move like a fluke. But, you know, over a few years of tweaking and this or that, I got it to, you know, slide side to side and, you know, give it that kind of fluky look. And so, um, you know, just from that experience with my dad, you know, and watching him fish that fluke and get these bass to eat it, um, and me not be able to do that with anything that I had because it wouldn't move that way. Um, you know, and the next day I went out and I caught, you know, two, you know, 30 inch stripers, which was for the Chesapeake at the time of year. That was pretty spectacular. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of my crayfish patterns, a lot of my Helgramite patterns that I tie, you know, I look at, you know, the splash that a, that a, you know, lead head creates when it hits water in comparison to like, you know, and how a fish reacts to that in low clear water. And, you know, I just, I've been messing with different, you know, weight of lead you know, even going down to, um, like bead chain eyes sometimes when the water's super low and clear, cause you, you know, you, you get a fly that just drops the bottom really fast with heavy lead and it's going to get stuck almost immediately because it wants to fall right into its first crevice. It wants to get as deep as it possibly can, where if you, you know, start looking at these guys and how they fish, you know, lighter tubes and, you know, sometimes weightless worms and, and you get those fish to eat them on the drop, you know, you, I want to figure out how do I create a fly to do that? How do I get it to fish not only on the bottom without getting stuck, but also how do I fish it on the drop and stay connected? What's the, you know, the fine line between too light and too heavy and, you know, kind of switching around and and messing with that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, not not only are you trying to necessarily imitate what a a specific lure does, and sometimes you don't need to, because I think sometimes flies, you know, the way they're softer and the way they glide more than jerk around, I think sometimes, depending on the, the conditions, you know, that softer, subtler presentation is what fly fishing has an advantage over spin fishing in a lot of ways. And so, you know, there's a huge full circle when it comes to, you know, you know, fishing gear and, and designing and, and fishing flies. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I would imagine that there are other things that you're thinking about, because like I know you guide a lot, right? So the last thing you want to do is to come off the water and need to tie a fly that takes an hour to tie, right? So, you know, in addition to kind of the the way that the, to maybe mimic uh, the way gear fishes and looking at those triggers and presentation, you know, what are some of those other things that kind of, you know, for example, you know, different materials, finding an, an easier way to get to where you need to be, things like that. I mean, I think profile is a huge thing. And so like, you know, I love, I, I love sitting at the vice and, you know, spending 45 minutes tying a crayfish and then swear sometimes, you know, out loud, but a lot of times in my head when, you know, 10 minutes into fishing it, it gets stuck on the bottom and we can't get it out. So, um, but, you know, I also, I also feel like, you know, I take a lot of pride in my fly box and I'm pretty OCD when it comes to fly boxes. And so like, you know, I want to look, look pretty and I want to fish well. And, 
you know, I want to be happy about the fly that I, that I tie. So, you know, a lot of times I would rather spend 40 minutes tying, you know, one fly or two flies and they come up exactly what I wanted to and do exactly what I want versus like, how do I cut corners? How do I make it simpler, but yet still effective? And, and so, you know, it's, it is a fine line between that, um, you know, wanting to get home and, you know, spend some time with, you know, my significant other and, and make sure she's doing all right and, and happy and, you know, be a good, good partner. And then like, all right, I'm going to the time room. I got to talk for three hours, you know? And, um, so, you know, I, I would say just profile is the biggest thing. If you can create something that doesn't take a long time, but still gives you that profile and, and that action you want, you know, you can, that, that is a, that is a, a happy median, but, um, you know, I have to fish a fly that I'm confident in. And if I'm not confident in it, I'm not going to fish it. Um, but you know, I have a fly that's very similar, um, you know, to Schultz's, you know, red eyed leech and, you know, a couple of his other bottom mouthy ones that are, you know, a lot of rabbit and a couple of rubber legs. And, you know, you add a little bit of foam sometimes to the, you know, glue it on the back of the tail to help that tail stand up a little bit more. And, you know, they take five, 10 minutes to tie. So you can crank it, you know, six or 10 of them out, out in an hour. Um, and they fish just as well. But, you know, when I'm in my artistic mode, I'm going to sit here and tie, you know, double or triple articulated or even a game changer, you know, style crayfish and just kind of have to deal with it if I lose it. So. Yeah, there you go. Like I said, hopefully not in the first uh, 10 minutes of the trip, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, so you lose them. Um, I've got a couple of crayfish that, you know, that it do take me about 30 minutes to tie. And, you know, I fished one for, you know, four days before we lost it. And I said, you know what? That fly has served its purpose. It's got, you know, probably a hundred fish on it and, you know, a giant couple giant catfish and, you know, it served its purpose. It caught its fish. So it's okay if I donate that one to the river. Um, but, you know, yeah, I hate it when, you know, you're 10 minutes in and you're like, the guy's like, oh, shoot, I lost another one. I mean, I remember uh, two years ago we were fishing. I was I got into tying the crafty changers and, and got super, super OCD about the taper. And so it would take me an hour and a half to tie. And then, you know, I got into those mallard changers with the, you know, kind of veiled mallard. And, they, you know, they'll take me two and a half hours if I, if I really, really wanted to get it perfect. And, you know, I've got guys that will – throw it 20 feet in a tree how i have no idea but they do and then they just rip it off and they're like oh sorry and i'll nonchalantly say like oh well that there goes two hours of my life and they'll turn around and they'll be like what and i'm like well that does i didn't buy that you know and they're like oh shoot i'm so sorry you know so um so sometimes like i'll give a client a, a, a hard time but most of the time you just kind of got to eat it and, and know that that's what's possibly going to happen if you spend that much time tying a fly so but, you know, I, I'm all about, you know, any fly that I would fish, I would also let my clients fish. So I'm not one of those guys that's like, uh, here's the guide box and here's my box. It's like, if it's good enough for me and if it, it's good enough for them. So, you know, I try not to skimp on that. Got it. And you mentioned Blaine and Schultze, you know, who are some of the other folks that have influenced you as a tire? Um, I mean, those two for sure. And, you know, uh, Lefty Cray, you know, we kind of have a similar, you know, we had, he was a Maryland boy. I was a Maryland boy and, you know, I've always loved his receiver and it's been one of my favorite flies. And so, you know, getting to meet him a few times was, was pretty awesome. And just looking at, you know, reading some of his books and stuff. And then, um, you know, Dave Skokes, uh, you know, big saltwater tire and fisherman, um, in the Northeast, like his mush mouth flies, 
one of my favorite striper flies and still to this day one of the hardest ones to get right you know you look at it and you're like that's super simple but you know when it comes down to it it's a pretty pretty difficult one to to, to actually you know tie so um you know of course growing up on the Chesapeake and being originally being kind of a saltwater guy you know a lot of my influence are guys that spend a lot of their time on the saltwater because you know as much as I love smallmouth the salt is definitely my my true passion so um well, I shouldn't say it's my true passion. It's it's where I cut my teeth, and and I I you know I love all predator fish personally. But um, so yeah, so I would say those those four guys are are huge, and you know even Greg Senio, um, you know I remember when I was still managing the shop, we did you know a couple you know celebrity tying appearances, and you know I got Senio and Schultz and Blaine, and and it was kind of cool. I lived above the fly shop, and so you know when I was setting up, I said, hey, if you guys don't want to pay for a, a hotel, you guys you know, I've got a couch, you guys are more happy to crash on it. And so, you know, all those guys stayed with me and, and, you know, drank some beer afterwards, tied some flies. And, um, I remember I was thinking about submitting some flies, uh, you know, to Orvis at the time. And I showed, uh, Senio my roamer and he said, send that right away. That's I've never seen, you know, he's like, obviously it's a saltwater fly. It's got some deceiver influence, but he's like, I've never seen, you know, fly tied, um, you know, that, that specific way. And, and I just showed him a couple of other flies and he was very helpful. He was like, this fly is awesome, but it doesn't have any sex appeal. So you've got to, you got to add it. Will fish eat it? Absolutely. Will people buy it? Probably not. It looks too simple. So go back and, you know, make it a little bit flashier. And I took everything he said and, um, sure enough, like I submitted those flies and, and Orvis loved them. And so, you know, I have a lot of, got to give him a lot of credit for helping me with that and being very, very, you know, as, if you've ever met Senyo or heard him talk, he's, you know, he's very blunt and he'll tell you how he, how he feels. And, and I think that was awesome because, you know, he gave me some very, very good feedback and, and ideas. And so, you know, those guys have always kind of, and I mean, one of the first blogs I ever looked at was, you know, Steel Alley Outfitters, you know, Senyo's tying blog. So um, a lot of my original East Coast steelhead flies came from tying those flies on his site. So got to give him credit too. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other people, you know, but I could sit here for an hour and probably tell you everybody that, that's helped me out. So, Yeah, very, very neat. And I always like to ask, uh, you know, guys that tie a lot to share the the most unusual tool that they use that they can't live without. Huh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I would probably say I have, I have two, two tools that I, I don't leave, you know, home without or I, that are always on my on my bench. And one of them is a, uh, so I tie a lot with the right bobbins that have the adjustment to it. And, uh, I was trying to figure out a way to make a handheld, you know, kind of wrench for that thing. And my buddy Rob came up to me one day. He's like, dude, I found it. And I was like, what? He goes, it's a Lego. And it's this little four pronged Lego that we mounted to a, um, a hair packer. We glued it in there and it, so now it's like a little wrench that, you know, loosens and tightens the drag on a right bobbin. And so that one, you know, I have two of them and I might be the only person in the world that has them, but that's one of those weird tools that I never leave, never leave without. And then, um, because I tie with so much bucktail, um, you know, I used to never leave home without uh, a big pen, you know, the tube on a big pen to push that, push the deer back. But, um, there's a new tool out that came out a couple of years ago uh, called the Proto John. Um, and it's a 3D tube in three or four different sizes. Um, and they make a really small one that's not much 
it's a little smaller than a big and but um it's got kind of grooves on it so it holds that bucktail when you push it back and um i have one of the original ones when the guy was designing them um he was had the full of a big one and a like kind of what he would call the full size one. And I said, you make one that's a little smaller for flies like this. He was at a show with me and he's like, yeah. So a week later he sent me one and, and, uh, I have, have that thing. It's bright orange, so I can't lose it. Um, and, uh, so yeah, those are two pretty, pretty, uh, pretty unique, unique tools. A common tool that I never leave, leave without, or I've always got is a, a pair of hemostats. Cause you know, when you, when you're tying with your rooster, um, rooster hackles or rooster feathers and stuff like that. Um, and you're trying to put them on the side of a shank. If you tie them in with a, you know, with a, a non smacked spine, sometimes they spin a little bit. And so I always have a pair of hemostats, uh, with me so I can smush the spines of, uh, the feathers. So they, they typically lay a lot easier on the sides, uh, of the fly. Yeah. Very neat. You know, that tying, tool you were talking about i when i i was reading your book uh this weekend uh getting ready for the interview and when i saw that mentioned in the in the tools that you liked i went i think it was um there's a video on the mad river site and i was pretty blown away it's a pretty slick slick tool yeah i mean it's it's super super cool and you know not to not to name drop but i remember we were at the uh we were at the uh, lefty's tie fest in in maryland small show and um, Bob Popovics was there and I was there. Um, actually, uh, I got smushed at the tying table between Bob Popovics and Rich Strola. So it was kind of cool. There was, I had kind of two streamer legends, you know, I was smushed in between them and, um, we were kind of talking about it and, and, and Bob came up with the idea of actually making it kind of variegated on the inside so that the bucktail wouldn't spin. It wouldn't hold it in place as you push it back. And, um, so it was kind of cool to have that experience. And I, I guess, uh, Popovics would also be another, another influence, influential, you know, tire when it came to, you know, kind of his stuff, his beast flies and his hollow flies and, um, going down to actually heading down your way, October to do some algae fishing. And so I've been obsessed with, you know, surf candies and stuff like that recently. And so I've been burning the pages of that book, looking at all, you know, reading every, every word to make sure I got it right. And, and, uh, you know, so it's kind of kind of fun, but yeah, yeah, very very cool. And you know, your your current day job is you're the owner of Relentless Fly Fishing, and you've talked a little bit about you know guiding in Alaska. But you know, how did you go from kind of being a late fly fishing bloomer uh, to getting the guide bug? Uh, yeah, honestly, it was you know day one in Alaska. You know, I graduated college having no idea what I was going to do with my life and. And, um, you know, never really thought about, you know, fishing being, you know, uh, a career path for me. My dad's a commercial fisherman. And so, you know, fishing has kind of always been my life. Um, he's also a retired tournament bass guy on, you know, kind of local circuits. And, um, and so I, I never really thought about it. And I did a, a, some, a summer, uh, in Alaska in college, they had a program called study America. And so you, credit to backpack the inside passage of Alaska and, and I had some family up there and my cousin uh, who actually teaches with my old boss Paul they're both uh, teachers at a native native high school uh, in Sitka and um, he was like hey man what do you think of Alaska I'm like this place is the most amazing place I've ever been like I'd love to come back and he's like well I could probably get you a job you know you know counting fish at a weir I've got some buddies that 
you know, our, our fishing guides. And, and I said, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. And that was the end of the conversation. And three weeks before I graduated, he said, Hey, uh, you know, Paul's looking for a deckhand and a fly fishing guide. Do you have, he's like, I know you fish a lot. Do you have any fly fishing experience? And I said, well, I have some, I know how to tie knots and I can roughly cast it. Um, and so I, I moved to Alaska and, uh, I got, I got there and, um, you know, Paul, Paul came up and we introduced each other, we introduced ourselves to each other. And, and he said, uh, all right, well, we're going to go steal up fishing for three days. You're in charge of cleaning the boat and getting it ready to go. And so, you know, college graduate, you know, coming out of college, you think when you graduate, like you deserve everything. And, um, I'm laying on my back underneath of a 27 foot, you know, ocean going boat scrubbing barnacles. And I'm like, I moved to Alaska to do this. I just, what am I doing? And I looked over to my left and there was a giant mountain right next to me. And I said, Oh yeah, this is okay. I'll, I'll do this. And then my first day on the, on the steelhead, you know, we did a little bit of guiding for steelhead in the early season and then, you know, fly fishing for trout and salmon and then deep sea stuff. And I remember walking up the river the first time with the fly rods, you know, sight fishing for steel in these small creeks in Southeast Alaska and just being like blown away by the intricacy of fly fishing. And, uh, and that was it. It was the first day in Alaska that I was like, okay, this is something that I could definitely get my, get into and, uh, moved back after two years up there and, and, uh, was working at a hardware store that I worked at in high school and college. And I was like, this is terrible. You know, I would go from, you know, grizzly bears and, and orcas and, you know, humpback whales just counting nuts and bolts in, in the harbor store. And so blindly I put a cover letter out to a, a few fly shops and guide services up down the East coast and, and TCO got back to me and I went up and interviewed and, and they, uh, they said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And during the interview, they asked me, do you, you know, do you have any questions? And the only question I had was, do you guys have a guide service? Cause I knew that guiding was what I really wanted to do. Um, and they said, well, we kind of have this on-stream instruction, but it's not really guiding, but, you know, you know, so we do some, some guiding, but, and I said, well, and in my head, I'm like, well, I know what I'm going to do. And so, um, while I was managing the fly shop in Reading, I basically started building a guide service and we went from doing about seven to 10 trips a year to, you know, a hundred and some, uh, and then, you know, Relentless is, we're on our fifth season right now and, you know, we're quadrupling that number right now so it's it's been a pretty cool experience so i would say that was an extremely long-winded uh answer for i just kind of as soon as i put a fly rod in my hand knew that i wanted to teach people how to do this and 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 i loved it and so that's kind of what drew me to be a guide was just loving the the atmosphere and and the adventure and teaching people how to fish and and it just kind of kind of fit so it was one of those things that kind of got dumped into and then just ran with it yeah, really neat. And, you know, so you grew it and you're, you're, I guess, really, you're kind of like the contract guide service for TCO. You know, what TCO fly shops um, do you guide for? So Relentless manages the uh, Haverford location, the Reading location, and the Boiling Springs location. So if you were to ever go out with, you know, call any of those stores, um, you know, we, we do all of the guiding for those stores. Um, and originally it was, just the Reading and the Boiling Springs location because those are the two shops that I, you know, managed um, at one point in my career at TCO. And then um, we kind of decided, you know, I had some guys that worked at both stores and, you know, between like Reading and Haverford or Boiling Springs and Reading. And so we kind of made sense that, 
we would just put all three of them together and, and it's been great. I mean, I've got an amazing crew of guys, you know, um, I, I always, you know, listening to Tony and, and Paul and those guys talk about, you know, successful business. And I've, I was a business major as well. And so, you know, just going from the academic side to the real world side and, and, you know, just seeing the success of these, you know, few companies that I've worked for in the industry, you know, they've always had a, an amazing team. You know, they're, their their team is what makes them successful and and you know i have two full-time guys uh neil sunday and and brendan roosh brendan mainly does smallmouth and neil is almost 100 percent trout does some steelhead stuff as well but those guys are like you know they're my they're my pinch hitters like anytime i need them they're there um you know i asked them three years ago if they'd give you know have a little faith in me and, and kind of commit to working full-time and and you know i needed a couple years to make you know to give it to get them to where they are now, um, you know, but I needed their commitment to be full time and they said, yeah, let's do it. And so, um, and then all of my part-time guys, you know, either work in the shop or, you know, do something in the outdoor world and then guide, you know, part-time slash full-time. Some of them are doing, you know, a good number of days, but you know, they're all, they all bring something different to the table. And I think that's what makes us, you know, so successful is we have just a well-rounded, you know, group of guys who've got, you know, some guys that are biologists by trade. And so, you know, they'll send me a, they'll send me a picture of a bug and I'm like, Oh, it's a sulfur. And they'll be like, no, it's a blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Neither does a trout. It's just yellow, you know? And, uh, but you know, so we've got some guys that are super deep into that. And then we've got guys that are, you know, big steelhead guys. And, you know, Brendan is by far, I, I think he, he might be a fish. Um, he might be a smallmouth. Uh, I would say because he just loves smallmouth and um, you know so they're in it, I'm in it, and it's it's been a great you know great experience so far. So although I did have two casualties this year, two of my guys broke their feet, which I, I don't even know how to I I can't even fathom what that would be like in the middle of the season to lose you know lose a month to six weeks because I broke my foot. But um, so there's it's never it's never a smooth experience, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting too that you say that because I, I think, you know, it's, um, you know, people are always asking me for guide recommendations. And I think, you know, just like people have different personalities, guides have different personalities, and you're always trying to match the right guide with the right person. For sure. Yeah, that's, that is actually one of the, one of the biggest things that, that I have to deal with when somebody calls or emails, you know, and, and I would say after, you know, over a decade doing this, um, you know, you can kind of read, a person's personality now, even through email in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, then once you get them on the phone, you're like, okay, this guy needs to go with this guy or this, this girl needs to go with, you know, with this, with this guide. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a, a balancing act for sure of figuring out who's going to have the best experience. And, and, you know, honestly, uh, some, sometimes I give trips away that, that I could potentially do, but I know that now in, in my career and where I'm at, like, they're going to have a better experience with Neil or they're going to have a better experience with one of my newer guys because I just don't have the energy to, to teach as like I used to. And, you know, it's, I still like to teach a lot, but I'm just, I'm not as good as some of these other guys is at teaching. So, you know, I, I know that they're going to have a better experience with this guy than they would with me. So I happily slide that to somebody else. And, and that's something that I had to wrap my head around as well Is you know, I don't, I, I want to do every trip that gets that calls, but, I don't have the time and, and, you know, I know that that's one of the reasons why I have an awesome team is because these guys will fit, you know, with different, different groups and, and, um, 
you know, one of the really cool things that's come out of COVID is, is we've had a lot of new anglers and a lot of families and um, husbands and wives or, you know, uh, son, sons and moms that come out and do it. And, and so we've, we've seen a huge flux in, or a huge increase in female anglers. And I think that's amazing. Um, but, you know, um, you know, some of my guys like Neil, for instance, he, he was uh, an Olympic snowboard coach and he still coaches downhill, you know, downhill snowboard racing and so he's a really good teacher for kids and the younger generation and um you know so when any anytime we have somebody that calls it you know got a younger younger kid like neil is definitely my my top choice or you know unless i've met them at a show or something and they request me you know specifically i try to slide them to to neil but um yeah i don't i don't know where i was going with that so (laughs) all we were talking about we were talking about you know personalities and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it all kind of, you know, gets put together to kind of that secret for being a good guide. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that, I think that you definitely have to know your strengths and your weaknesses and, and, you know, that was a lesson I had to learn, um, you know, especially being the, being the owner and having 13 other guys that are working for me, like I can't be on the water every day anymore. That was hard for me to kind of, I'm still doing a terrible job at it, but I'm trying really hard. That's my 2021 goal is to step back and be okay with it. Um, and know that like, you know, it's not about, Oh, I did 200 trips this year. How many did you do? And it, it's, it's about how many did the guy, how many did the guide service do? And how many, how many happy clients do we have? And I love being, being the boss. And now I don't like calling myself a boss cause I have a team, but um, you know, being the point man and getting an email from a client that, you know, Brendan took out or Neil took out or Eric took out or Alex took out and, and then saying we had a phenomenal time and, you know, please, please forward this email to, to that guide and, and tell them that, you know, we'll be back because of how awesome they were. And for me, that's, that's awesome. I love, I love hearing that stuff. So. Yeah, very neat. And, you know, so you, you know, you built, uh, built this guide service, you know, while you were at TCO and, you know, gosh, probably within what the last four to six weeks, you released your first book, Smallmouth Bass Flies Top to Bottom. You know, uh, not everybody that's in fly fishing writes a book. What made you want to do that? Um, honestly, it, it's been a, I would say, a dream of mine since the first time I walked into the fly shop in, in, in Alaska. And there was, you know, some books there. And I was like, man, this is so cool to like, to know something so well and the, to have the information that you want to share. And, and I was actually, if you were to ask any one of my English professors from like middle school through college, if you told them that I wrote a book, they'd probably slap you in the face and tell you that you're lying. Cause I was terrible at writing in the English language. But, um, so I was always afraid of, afraid of that, but I always knew that I, I wanted to write a book. It was something that, you know, it was more or less like, what am I going to write it on? And, um, you know, I, I, I remember I, I bought, um, my, my botches, but I think it was Chico Fernandez's bonefish book, um, when I was in, in Alaska, which is of all places, which was kind of funny. Um, and I read that book cover to cover cause I was like obsessed with bonefish and just the knowledge and, and the information you get out of from a book. It's like, you know, why would you not want to share what you've put, you know, dedicated your life to for the past, you know, 14 years? Why would you not want to like, try to cut a lot of that learning, you know, learning curve off for people and, and share that information. And, you know, the book was something that could reach people from all around the world, you know, and, uh, 
you know, not a lot of people can, you know, I, I would say, let me back up. You can't get that reach of people just by doing a presentation at a local TU chapter at a fly show. And so to be able to kind of go at a, you know, a worldwide, you know, kind of education, you know, I thought that was something that would be really cool. And, and the book process was tough. I mean, when I was writing, I was, I was not, I was not like sure I was ever going to finish it. There were times where I was like, Oh my God, this, I, what did I, what did I get myself into? Um, and then you get really close to the end and, and you, your mentality changes. You know, if you would have asked me, you know, six months into writing a book and I would ever write another one, I would have told you you're crazy. No, but you know, when I published it and I got the first copy, um, in the mail, I was like, I'd write another one. Now that I know how to do it, I would write another one. But, um, so yeah, I guess, I guess it would be, you know, uh, an industry dream that I've had since the day I stepped into the industry and, and it's kind of cool to have done it. So yeah, it's really neat too. And looking at the book and I'm, you know, obviously talking to you, you know, you've got a ton of small mouth knowledge and you share not just, you know, fly information in the book, but you know, that's really, um, the chassis that you kind of built all of this around and kind of the way you, I guess you want to share, you know, your small mouth knowledge. And, you know, for folks that haven't had a chance to take a look at the book, it's basically broken into surface mid column and bottom flies. And I was really kind of curious, you know, how you came up with the kind of the fly oriented approach to structure your book. Um, I think, I think the, the biggest reason why we went with that direction was because I had a lot of flies and, you know, as much as I didn't want to be known as a fly tired, I want to be known more as a guide and that stuff. I realized that fly tying in a lot of ways, or I shouldn't say fly tying, but flies in general, in a lot of ways are the basis of fly fishing. And so, you know, you can, you can educate people not only on a fly, but how to fish it, why to fish it, when to fish it and where to fish it. Um, and when you break it down that way, one of the reasons why we want to do that is because, um, smallmouth bass are very similar to, to trout, to big water trout, you know, where they, where they hold, you know, where they, what they eat, how they eat, when they eat. Um, and, and so I really wanted to kind of try to bridge the gap between trout fishing and smallmouth fishing. And so I kind of broke it down into the three main feeding columns for any fish, really, not just trout, but, um, and kind of show that they're a freshwater predator, just like a trout. Um, and so I, I wanted to break it down that way. And, you know, I also, you know, didn't want, you know, to write a step-by-step how-to fish book. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, we, when we were kind of deciding what we were going to write, how we were going to write it, it was like, um, you know, there's a kind of three different types of books. There's like the fly encyclopedia book where it's just patterns and talking about different flies. And then there's the, you know, tutorial book. And then there's the tips, tactics, and strategies book. And so I kind of wanted to try to put all three of them together and give you an encyclopedia of smallmouth bass, not just fly patterns, but, you know, the tying stuff, the new materials and kind of put it all together and, and, you know, make it a, make it a bench book and make it something that you can sit on your fly tying bench and, you know, look at it when you're tying a fly. And even if you're not tying one of the flies in the book, you can, there's a lot of, there's a lot of techniques in there that they go to plenty of different flies. And so that was another thing I wanted to really talk about in the book was different techniques, not necessarily the fly pattern, but like, you know, I mean, even like Blaine's, Blaine's, game changer you know just talking about the different 
ways you can tie it, the different sizes you can tie it, and you know different types of flies that you can tie on that you know on that platform. And and I tell a lot of people, um, you know, that Blaine didn't just create the game changer. Blaine created a platform for a, a, an articulated fly that that wiggles and moves like nothing that's ever been designed before. So you know, if you look at the game changer platform itself you know, that can translate into a lot of other flies besides bait fish and, and, um, and stuff like that. So there was a, there was a lot of different stuff that went into that. And, you know, quite frankly, reading it now and looking back, there's, there's more and more stuff that I've learned in the past, you know, two years that I didn't get to put in that book that I'm like, man, you know, there's some stuff that I missed. There's some stuff that I wish I would have elaborated a little bit more on, but you know, who knows, maybe there's another bass book in the future. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, and it's interesting too, because each section has, I don't know, probably six or seven patterns. And it was interesting that, you know, I thought, you know, I noticed, you know, some of them are your patterns. Um, a lot of them aren't. And I was curious how you picked the half a dozen or so, you know, top water flies, mid column flies and bottom flies. Uh, honestly, I, I, I looked in my fly box and I was like, what are the flies that I use the most? And, and then I, I, I have a shoe box of flies, um, that have been, you know, taken out of the box from, you know, 12 years ago when I started small mouth fishing on the Schuylkill river. And, you know, the flies that we used there were a little bit different than what we used on the Juniata and a little bit different than the stuff you used in Michigan. So, you know, bass are bass, but, you know, I, I think I've heard Mike say this many times is like, you know, bass are bass, but each system fishes differently. And so there's a different approach to each system and so i was digging through you know digging through this shoebox full of flies that i would call my reject flies and you know pulled some stuff out that i was like oh my gosh i totally forgot about how great this fly was like that's got to go in there i haven't tied it in five years but this one's got to go in there so um and then you know just some other iconic stuff that that i you know wanted to elaborate on like you know obviously blaine's book came out the game changer and book and and so it's kind of hard to put one in there, but I, I had my own spin on one of this plot on one of the changer patterns and, or platforms and, and wanted to share that. And, um, I've got some buddies that are, that are huge, you know, trout streamer guys. Um, and they do a lot of bass too. And, you know, he, my one buddy Austin was going to the white river and he pulled out his fly box the white river. And he was like, you check this out, check this out. And I was like, Oh my God, that's an amazing spring bass fly. Oh my God, that's, that'd be a perfect like wintertime fly. And I said, can I, and I have one of those and, and, and he was like, he said, yeah, sure. And so, um, one of them, which is the, the crafty bait fish, um, was one that he tied to the white river for trout. And I was like, this is a perfect example of a trout fly that will go into a bass, you know, that will go into the warm water world as well. And so I did a few tweaks to it and, you know, made it a little bit more ba- bassy by adding a rattle and making the head a little bulkier and, um, you know, just a couple other minuscule things under the hood. And I said, Austin, check this out. And he was like, how did you make my pattern better? And I was like, I don't know. I just thought about it the way I would want a bass to eat it or bass to see it. And, and then I asked him, I said, can I, can I do a tutorial of this one? Because I think it's a perfect trout streamer that will, you know, go over to a bass. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, a lot of it was influenced from some of my buddies that were trout guys too. And so, um, you know, when you take all that together and then, um, you know, I wrote an article for Fly Fisherman Magazine, which was, pretty awesome too. you know, have, you know, read fly fishing magazine for the past 15 years or so. Um, you know, probably longer than that, uh, to be able to write for that, ma- that magazine was pretty awesome. But I wrote an article on trout tactics for smallmouth 
and um, you know, it kind of took some stuff out of the you know top water um, pieces of my book and put it into a magazine article and talked about how you know low water smallmouth are very similar to spring creek trout or you know western trout. You know, thinking about the Missouri River and you know stuff like that, and and so that's where some of the like parachute. Um, the parachute chubby Chernobyl or uh, parachute uh, can't even think about it. It's called now Chernobyl Hopper. Parachute Chernobyl Hopper um, got into the book because it was one of my favorite grasshopper patterns to use for western trout. And then when we had started to see bass spooking off of frogs and bigger poppers, I started bringing out some grasshoppers and stuff. And that became one of my best low water summer popper or summer bugs. And so, um, you know, when you kind of move around on that side, uh, of the world, you, you kind of want to show everybody the different stuff. So I would say, you know, flies that have been tried and true, not only in bass, but also in trout, you know, and then tested on bass and, and they work. So, um, you know, and then talking about, you know, we talked about the other day when we talked on the phone, um, about the, uh, the book that the guys from Wisconsin did. Um, and, you know, they talk a lot about the Mr. Wiggly, um, and, you know, the foam game out there and the confidence eats and, you know, I, I remember reading some of that stuff and actually I think Brennan was the first one that showed me the old Mr. Wiggly fly. And I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And, and, uh, I said, that's, that's, that's the key that we needed for summertime. And so, you know, taking some influence from those guys have been, you know, guiding longer than I've been, you know, here on this planet in some way. So, um, you know, taking a lot of stuff that you've learned from other people too, and kind of showcasing that that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I think one of the neat things, too, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording tonight is, you know, the patterns are not just kind of, um, you know, the most modern, most current. But, you know, you know, you it's clear that you have a lot of respect for kind of, you know, what I think of as the entire progression. I mean, you've got, you know, kind of classic Chuck Craft patterns that people think about and you've got some of the kind of you know, early, you know, Michigan articulated fly designs and then some of the current stuff too. So I thought it was really interesting how your fly selection really kind of covered the history of smallmouth flies. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I'm watched well, unfortunately Chuck Craft, you know, passed away, but I remember talking to him, you know, at some of the shows and down at Mossy Creek a few times and, and, uh, you know, just looking at his flies and being like, wow, like, you know, they're, they're simple, but man, do they work, you know? And you, you think about, you know, the term guide fly and you think about, you know, just how, how you, how you wanted that fly to work. And when you take the simple flies, like even the clouds are meadow, I mean, you know, Bob came up with one of the greatest flies that will ever be created, you know, not only for smallmouth, but for trout and for saltwater. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can never forget about, where the basketball started, you know, no matter how, you know, how new you are, how old you are into it, you always got to remember that, you know, these guys are the guys that were doing it way before I picked up a fly rod. And so the stuff that worked for them, you know, will always be a staple in the bass world. And so I think it's really important to, you know, always, um, you know, remember the guys that came first and the guys that, you know, kind of blazed the path first and and i think i get a lot of that from the commercial fishing world because like you know you always had to you know my dad you know, when i was you know when i was a kid you know he was in his 30s and, and 20s and you know he is very respectful of the commercial guys that were in their 50s and 60s and so like kind of seeing that at a very young age of like oh you always have to respect the guys that have been doing it longer and the guys that are still to this day 
you know, cutting, cutting the, the edge of fly design and, and even just reimagining stuff or like tweaking the flies that were amazing back then so that they'll then work a little bit more. Because I think one of the biggest things with fly design today is that like the fishing pressure is way more. And so, um, you know, those bass can get, a, you know, not just bass, but any fish gets very, very, you know, you know, familiar with certain things and the way that they move. And, and I think that, you know, modern fly design is trying to break that puzzle of how to get that. How do you get those fish to eat the way they did 20 years ago, you know, with 20, 30, 40 times more pressure. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the big things with fly design today. And, and just thinking about those guys back then, their flies still work today, which means that like, you know, they figured it out and they figured it out long term. So, um, so I think it's, I think that's, I think it's important, you know, to show that stuff and, and, um, you know, all the guys, I mean, Ellie Rhodes, you know, down in Virginia, he sent me some amazing flies, you know, obviously he was right there with Chuck Kraft and, and, uh, you know, I just, I love seeing some of that, you know, his influence and those guys as well. And just the confidence that they have in those patterns. And I think that was, that was a big deciding factor for me was just how much confidence do other guys have in these flies and how much confidence they have in their flies. And, and it wasn't just the bass book, bass book for Pennsylvania. It was the bass book for, you know, everywhere there's small mouth. So. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause you know, kind of talking about that, it, you know, it, it's really interesting to see those kind of fly, you know, design and material selection really, you know, for people that are really serious about tying and particularly, you know, none of us get to, fish as much as we want to, you know, some of the things you share, you know, in terms of, we were talking before we started recording, like, you know, how to manage flash and veiling a game changer or little things like that, you know, I think are, you know, really kind of, you know, for everything else, make the, the book a super worthwhile purchase for folks that want to figure that out. You know, what made you so comfortable to share some of that secret sauce with all of us? You know, it's funny. I remember my, you know, my dad being a commercial fisherman. He's always like, you know, he's like, don't, don't tell anybody anything because actually, you know, you're gonna have ten guys in your spot. And and I remember, I remember telling my dad the first time that I was writing a book, and I thought he'd be like super proud of me, which which he is. But um, he was like, huh? Didn't I teach you anything? You're gonna give away all your secrets. And I said, well, you know, part of part of the fun of being a guide and and being a you know, if you would call it a quote unquote professional in the industry is that, you know, you, you learn the hard way. And, and, you know, you, if I can share some of that information, I'm going to share that information with other people. And, 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 you know, most of the people aren't going to fish as much as I am and, and they're not, you know, so for that information to, to get into the hands of people that, you know, don't have the ability to experiment as much as I do. I, I think that's my part of, you know, giving back to the industry and like, making my time on the water, whether it's a, you know, a rock star day, or it's one of those days where it leaves you scratching your head. Like what, what did I just do? I mean, I remember last year water got so low that there was a couple of times where I was like, I just wrote a book on smallmouth and I can't figure them out. Like what is going on? You know, and then you have to take a step back and you think about, okay, well, this is what the conditions are. And this is how I would think about it. And so for me, I just thought it was, it was giving back, um, you know, and, and another thing that's, that I think is important too is, is that flies, no matter how well or bad they're tied or, or how many, you know, how many times they're fished, like every angler fishes a fly differently. So like, I am happy to tell you how I fish them. I'm happy to tell you how I tie them, but the way that I fish them versus the way Brennan fishes them or, you know, Bill Bob is coming down in a kayak fishes them, you know, they're all going to be fished different. And so, 
you know, I think one of the biggest, the biggest things for me is that like, I know that, that there's minuscule differences in the way that the way that I'll fish versus the way another guy will fish. And, um, and so I'm not really that scared about it. And, and I also think that the information that I've learned, I want to share. I had somebody once tell me like, isn't the fun of, you know, fly fishing, you know, being able to figure it out yourself. And, you know, my response to that is like, yeah, but another part is being able to share all that information with people that don't do it as much. And I think, I think that's important. So I don't know. I, I think I just wanted to share people. I wanted to make it easier for people. I wanted I really, my main focus on this book was to get people jazzed on smallmouth because it's a, it's a rapid growing part of our sport. And, you know, I think that getting, if I can get people excited about it, you know, whether they hire me as a guide or one of my other guides or just get out and fish and get excited about smallmouth, that's, that's what I really care about. So, um, I guess that might be the main reason why I did it was because I want people to get excited about that. Yeah, it's interesting too. And, you know, in addition to, I don't know, probably the 20 or so main patterns in the book, I mean, you literally, you know, have hundreds of patterns from all over the world. I mean, not just people, you know, that we know about like Chuck or Ellie Rhodes or Schultz or Blaine, but I mean, I think I saw some patterns from, from Europe and, you know, tell us a little bit about what the process was like, you know, soliciting and collecting all those patterns and organizing them for the book. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of, some of it, you know, fell on deaf, deaf ears and, you know, I just kind of reached out, you know, I mean, I will say, you know, social media, depending on who you talk to, you know, some people say social media ruined the sport. Some people say, it's, you know, a black hole of ideas. And, you know, some people say that people just fish now to become the famous, but I think that, you know, what Instagram did was it, it opened up a lot of avenues of just getting to know people. So I'll be honest, like, you know, I've found emails from some people and obviously got information from other people that I knew, you know, and, and was like, Hey, do you know this person? Do you have their contact info? Can I get their stuff? I want to get some slides. But also some of it was, I just drafted up basically an email, a very short and, you know, to the point email. And I sent it to like 20 different tires via Instagram. And, you know, probably 15 of them got back to me and said, yes. And then, you know, some of them, never sent flies and after the sixth or seventh time i i asked them for them and they said yeah yeah they're coming i you know got to the point where i just didn't have time anymore and, and they didn't make it but you know some of the guys were awesome and they just were like yep what's your address and a week later i had you know four patterns or five patterns and um and and it was great so you know a lot of guys were super stoked to see it and i also thought it was really cool because um you know to see the number of people, I mean, I've got, I've got bass flies from Colorado and Montana, you know, and California and, you know, Texas. And I think out of Texas, um, you know, and then the main, the main, the main, uh, you know, states like Michigan and New York and Virginia and Maine and PA, but, um, but it was really cool to, to get some guys that were trouty, trouty guys, um, you know, in Colorado that tied, you know, certain crayfish patterns that, trout eat and i was like hey i can i have some of those from a book because those are amazing crayfish patterns and they're like yeah absolutely you know so um so yeah instagram was a huge part of that and then just kind of going through people up at the industry and, and that were bass guys or trout guys that had good flies and, um and i just kind of reached out and and said hey can i have some flies and i now have a bag of flies from around the world which some of them i have fished some of them are so nice that i refuse to fish some of them i just have as you know kind of as 
you know, patterns to have and, and, and talk about. So, um, but you know, some of it was just like, I wanted, I went through the, the kind of gamut of like, what are the, what are the classics? What are the, what are the originals? And then what are the, you know, more modern ones? What are some of the more off the wall ones? They're like, man, that guy in Spain spins some amazing deer hair bugs. Like, yeah, they might be very similar to Pat Cohen, who I've got a bunch of his flies or, you know, a couple of the guys that I've got from out West or, you know, Midwest, but like, man, like he's just got a different spin on them. And I really like the style. And so, you know, you shoot them an email and say, Hey, like, can you send me some stuff? And you know, they're all about it. So I've, I know that we've sent, you know, the fly shop did most of the book sales for me. Um, you know, as well as, um, you know, other shops bought books too, but TCO has, you know, sold like well over 300 copies at this point. And I know they've sent them to, you know, Australia, England, you know, I think there might've been one to South Africa or something like that. So some people are buying them, you know, around the world, which is really cool. And I think that having, having influence from all over the country and the world, you know, just added to that kind of camaraderie of, of fly fishing. So it's not, it's not the U S versus the rest of the world. It's, it's the whole world as a whole in this industry is, you know, pushing the edge. So. Yeah, it's really neat. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you're ready to write another book, but the writing and editing process was a bit of a grind at some point. Um, what was the process like? And, you know, what was kind of the biggest challenge or surprise that uh, popped out? I think the biggest, the biggest challenge was just time. You know, I mean, you, you don't realize that writing a book is not just writing words on a piece of paper. It's, you know, it's gathering the flies. It's, you know, kind of contacting different tires. It's, you know, you ask them to send a, a recipe in a specific, you know, kind of order and it comes completely backwards. And so, you know, instead of sitting down for your two hours allotted a day that you're going to write, you're going to, you know, have all these ideas you've got to sit there and, and rewrite all the recipes and, um, you know, and then when you take the photos, you have to, you have to, you know, number the photos and then you have to remember which photo goes to which pattern. And so, you know, there was a lot of back and forth and, and organization that was, I thought was the hardest part. Um, and it was coming at all different speeds. And so, um, you know, I'd say the biggest challenge for me was just like, putting it all together and, and realizing once you start writing that the writing itself is the easiest part of the book process. And so, you know, getting the photos and making sure, you know, everything is, is, you know, the right resolution and, um, you know, all of the little stuff. I mean, honestly, I, I finished the book and then it was a three month back and forth to stack poll on, you know, what about, is this the right way that this is supposed to be spelled? Is this the right, you know, term for this is, do you want all of these to be this way, written this way or this way, or, you know, and, um, and so, you know, the, the details that go into writing a book and getting it published is just daunting, um, in my opinion. But, um, you know, once you do it once, okay, now I know that like I have to write and then I have to manage all the photos and manage all the captions and, you know, and make sure it all comes back full circle and it's not just a bunch of ideas on a piece of paper. Um, you know, I think that was, that was the biggest challenge, but honestly it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, one of the, one of the things that I thought was really fun was actually, you know, getting to do a couple of photo shoots. So it was kind of like, you know, you're, you're photo shooting, but you're really just fishing with your buddies and taking a really high, you know, really high quality camera along and, and, you know, trying to get 
the right shots and the right angles. And, and so it was, it was a process for sure, but, um, but it, it was, it was definitely fun, but I would say that the writing part, realizing that the writing was the easiest part was probably the most daunting thing to kind of overcome. Yeah. Interesting. Cause you kind of think you're done and then you're not. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, Oh shoot, I forgot about, I forgot all of the hook sizes for those 25 flies and you got to go back through and, and get the right. The other thing that was interesting too, was you had to, you know, you had to have the right size of hook, the right name of, you know, name of the hook and the right brand of the hook. And sometimes you would get a fly and you'd be like, Oh, it's just a size six streamer hook. Well, what kind of streamer hook is that? So then I have to go through and like, look at, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm working in the fly shop and being a tire. I have a pretty good eye for most hook brands. And so like, I'd get a hook and I'm like, mm, that's probably a must add, you know, it's on a saltwater hook and it's, you know, a little bit, um, it's not a shiny, you know, Mustad's known for their kind of more like matte finish. And so you go to Mustad and you like, look at the fly, you look at the, you look at the hook, you look at the fly. And then you just, some of it was just a guess of like, yeah, that looks pretty close to what I think it is. And you just kind of go with it. But, um, so, you know, knowing all of the materials, I mean, I, when I was writing, I would say that 70% of the time I was writing, I had a hairline and a Wapsi catalog sitting next to me to make sure I got the right color name and all that stuff. Right. So, um, but it was fun. It was definitely a challenge for me, but you know, once it all started to come together, then, then my kind of OCD organizational mind just got really excited and I just kind of rolled with it. Yeah. Very neat. Is there anything else on the horizon you want to share with our listeners? Um, well, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about my, uh, my love for the saltwater and the, the Chesapeake and, you know, hopefully, hopefully maybe in the future, there will be a little bit of saltwater influence back in my life you know, as well as relentless. And so we might, you know, one of the big things that I'm hoping will happen if everything, you know, fall the stars line is that maybe, maybe as long as it doesn't drag me too thin, it's kind of getting back into a little bit of my home waters on the Chesapeake and, you know, kind of maybe guiding down there a bit. But, um, you know, the other big thing that's hopefully going to happen is show season this year, you know, if, if it actually works, you know, with COVID and stuff, but, um, I'll be at the, uh, international fly tying symposium this year and and i'm pretty excited and and also kind of blessed to be uh you know a uh quote-unquote celebrity there so i'll be doing a tying demo and a presentation and um and then at all the other shows i'll be doing some demos and i'll be at the author's booth and stuff and so um you know show season will be my my big thing i'm i'm trying to trying to plan a book tour right now but um there's a lot of maybes if ands and buts with we think a lot of a lot of shops still aren't doing the in-person stuff and so um you know what's kind of trying to figure that you know kind of navigate through that situation and and then if that doesn't work what i'll probably end up doing again this winter is doing some, you know zoom classes and and presentations and stuff like that and, and we did some last year which were very successful um and i think the zoom stuff's not going anywhere because it can reach so much further and you know people want to learn how to tie certain flies but you know they might be in michigan and they might be in new york and they're not going to drive to boiling springs Pennsylvania. yeah and you know uh before i let you hop you want to let folks know kind of the best place to buy your book um and kind of how to follow you know your adventures and relentless fly fishing's adventures uh online yeah sure so uh obviously uh you can get the book on amazon um you know a lot of people have prime so that makes it pretty easy but 
Um, you know, your local fly shop has it. I know Schultz has it. Tightlines has it. Mad River has it. Um, TCO obviously has it. Um, but most of my book sales go through TCO. So if you really need to get them, they've got them in stock. Um, and so that would be the easiest way to get them. Hopefully, if uh, my books show up, I just ordered a few more cases because I sold out. They'll be on my website as well. Um, and my website is relentlessflyfishing.com. Um, that's got all the information for uh, you know our our guide service. It's got some links to some YouTube videos, and I've got a blog that I kind of keep up on. I'm not doing a great job at it right now, but uh, but you can you can uh, click on the link to uh, subscribe to our mailing list, and we're you know we do right now quarterly newsletters, and hopefully next year we'll do you know monthly newsletters with you know kind of things that are going on and whatnot. Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram, Relentless Fly Fishing, uh, or Facebook. Uh, it's Jake Billwalk or Relentless Fly Fishing. We've got a page for that as well. Um, and I think that's about all I got right now. Oh, I do have a YouTube channel, Relentless TV. Um, it's got some time videos and some other stuff like that. I'm kind of trying to revamp that a little bit. I've been out of that game for a bit. So um, depending on how cold the winter is, that's when you'll see more videos come up probably this winter. So, Well, there you go. And I imagine, too, that if folks buy the book through your website, it's probably the best way to get a personalized copy back, right? Yeah. So, um, right now, if you buy them through any of the fly shops, um, you know, TCO specifically, uh, it's just a book. Uh, if you want it, uh, signed, you just put it in the comments and I'll drive to the shop and, and sign it. So it might be an extra day or two for, for it chips. Um, but once I get them up on my site, uh, after I get some more back in stock, you know, if you put a, put a note in the comments on if you want to personalize to a specific person or something you want to say, we can uh, sign all that stuff as well. So, Well, very neat. Well, listen, Jake, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with me this evening after what I'm sure was a pretty long day on the water. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Uh, early morning tomorrow, and I'm excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, listen, Jake, thanks again so much. You got it. Take care. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.